0: hi it's Jill Schlesinger host of the better off podcast on today's show we've got the guys behind the new documentary movie the China hustle this is the biggest heist you've never heard of
1: if we think that the hundreds of billions of dollars that have been stolen from American investors went to China and just sat idle in bank accounts we are sadly mistaken it came back here through a different investment vehicle to buy our companies and
0: control our jobs Welcome to the Better Off Podcast. We're sponsored by Betterment, the largest independent online financial advisor. Now, we've got a great show today. I'm so psyched about this because uh, we have two people involved in a brand new movie, The China Hustle. This is a film by Jed Rothstein, and uh, we also are going to have not just Jed, but Dan David, who is one of the characters in this. I want you to think about this movie as essentially the big short of China okay it's not exactly like that but it is compelling it is a documentary it does not feel like a documentary I watched it Mark watched it we, it was so compelling we were so into it it is a great story about what happens when you let Chinese companies essentially come to the US and pretend to be legitimate companies our public can invest in those companies. And what happens when we find out that it is essentially a house of cards?
1: China's this exploding market. We're making a profit. $22 million. $100 million. $20 billion. $50 billion. This was simply too good to be true. Over 300 businesses operating in China listed here in the United States. But I believed they're misrepresenting. So we went to China, a busload of investors shows up, all of a sudden things get turned on, they leave, all the lights go back off. It's a total fraud. If this one company is so brazenly fraudulent, we have to worry about all of them here in the United States. Hold on to your wallet. It's everybody. It's every bank. Best place to be a criminal is someplace with no cops.
0: This is a really important movie for anyone who is an investor for anyone who's an international investor or anyone who tends to fall for this idea of the China miracle important informative slightly scary after you listen to the interview check out the show notes we've got a link to the trailer I promise you you are going to be interested enough to find out where this is playing and the movies out so you've got to check it out the trailer will be in the show notes. And the movie itself is out right now. This is our interview with Jed Rothstein and Dan David of The China Hustle.
2: You're listening
1: to Better Off with Jill Schlesinger.
0: Okay, we have got the masterminds behind the new documentary, The China Hustle. We have the director and writer Jed Rothstein and... Brand new star, Dan David. Um, Just a a quick bio. uh, Jed specializes in hard-to-get stories from around the world. And you'll see why this is a hard-to-get story. You won awards for a a documentary called Before the Spring, After the Fall, and Killing in the Name. It's about Al-Qaeda terrorists.
2: Uh, Killing in the Name is,
0: yeah. Um, Also uh, nominated for an Academy Award. Who beat you? Uh, a film called Strangers no more. Robbed. You were robbed. <laughs> I was robbed. I know it. You've done a million other things, but those are your big, you know you're you're the big mind behind the making of this documentary film. Dan David, you are the Chief Investment Officer of FG Alpha Management, a short bias hedge fund and co-founder of Geo Investing. Now, everyone when you hear that, don't curl your lips because he's one of the good guys. He's actually a good guy in this story, and also Dan David, also known as a whistleblower. You uh, are also running for Congress in the Fourth District of Pennsylvania. Yes, I am. We'll get to that in a second. Why you ever? <laughs> okay. We'll do that a little bit later. Let's talk about the origins of this film. So, where did the idea for this film begin? Jed, did did you? Did you hear about this guy named Dan? Did someone come to you with this concept that something weird is going on with people who are investing in Chinese companies?
2: Yeah, one of the producers knew um, John Carnes, who's also in the film, another short seller and investor. She, through John, met Dan and brought the film to uh, Jigsaw, which is where I've done a lot of work, um, to, in hopes that Alex Gibney would take it on because he's the sort of master of um, financial films.
0: He did the Enron movie, The Smartest Guys in the Room. He also did that crazy Scientology movie.
2: Exactly. And um, Alex really loved the story, but he couldn't direct it because he was already committed to some other stuff, but wanted to executive produce it and said, let's see if we can connect Sarah, who is the producer, and Dan with um, one of the other directors in our shop, which turned out to be me. And then the idea for the film... And the genesis of the storytelling really began just as I describe it in the movie itself, which is Dan and I met in a TGIFs in Penn Station. Mm-hmm. That's and so romantic. It's so your first yeah. date
0: at TGIF. That's really a bad story beginning. You
2: know, Penn Station. I've been going in and out of it for, for over twenty years, and it just never gets never gets better.
0: No. Uh, obviously, we're giving up the ha- the ability for TGI Fridays to ever sponsor us right now by throwing them under the bus.
2: It was wonderful. You know what? I I salute everyone who who toils there. They're trying to make it work in Penn Station. It's a a tough spot. It
0: really is. It's
2: a tough spot.
0: So, okay. So, Dan, you are a hedge fund manager. I am. And talk a little bit about how you got involved with investing in China in the first place. Well, so
1: we were investors in the classic sense of the term of value investors and um, had done well. In the mid two thousands, running up to two thousand and eight. Uh, two thousand and eight, as you may have heard, was a tough year.
0: Yeah, it's weird. I, I, I it does strike me as one of those. Hmm, why does yeah. that sound familiar?
1: Yeah, I, it was, it was, it was a good couple years running into that, and we we're flat running into September of two thousand and eight. And by Flat November- meaning
0: what? Like you had no positions on?
1: No, we, we, we were even for oh, the even year. Oh, even for the year. We were, okay. You know, we were up 50% the year before and 50% the year before that and doing well. 2008, it was just really choppy going into September, but we, we managed to stay flat mm-hmm. uh, as far as not up or down. But by November, we were down 79%. 7.9%. Seven, nine. Wow. Yeah.
0: So you had a hedge fund and was it filled with a whole bunch of institutional people or were they just rich people who had extra money who bet you? Well, at on that you?
1: time, it was my partner's hedge fund. And he's a really unsung hero in, in this story, Mosh, uh, There's There was two of us and there's, there's a whole team behind what I did. I could arguably say I'm the least important part of that team. For one reason or another, I end up in the movie. Uh, and, and it was his fund at the time and I ran the venture capital part of our business as well as some of the real estate interests. So it, it was a soul-crushing experience for him. And you know, he, he came to stay with me for a couple of weeks, and I said, okay, tell me about your side of the business now because I'm now going to have a part in everything we do, including your side of the business. And he explained to me about value investing. And I basically said, look, we shouldn't change anything about what we do because it worked for you for 20 years, and let's stick with this model. Let's let's consider these last two months an anomaly in the market, and it was, and go back to value. And when we looked at value in 2009, almost everything was in China, a China-based company listed on our U.S. exchanges. So we thought, like anybody else, if it's listed on our exchange, they're, you know, regulated by the SEC. The exchanges do their diligence. The investment banks do their diligence. They have a big four auditor. We had no reason to suspect anything. And we invested almost everything into these China-based companies long uh, and picked up 229% in 2009.
0: Whoa. Okay. And so how did you get information? Because um, notably, the the Chinese market itself is sort of opaque. The fact that it was had a U.S. listing, you yeah. uh, presume that, you know, it sort of has compliance hurdles that it's been reached. But if I wanted to buy a Chinese company, I am precluded from doing that. I can't go invest in a Chinese-based company from the Chinese uh, market because they have the A and the B, and, and it's really hard to invest overseas. So your idea was if it's here, right. it's kind of cleared this regulatory hurdle and at least we know that it's kind of maybe not be the best investment but at least it's not uh you know some fly-by-night crazy you know joe's Joe's investing
1: we we felt it was the best investment and we we did the same due diligence at that time that we would do on any u.s listed company based in the in the united states uh so we interviewed ceos cfos we we talk to competitors we channel checked and things of this nature the difference being to clear these regulatory hurdles here in the United States it's really about filling out paperwork and it's really about you know having your legal team and your auditors who are just checking paperwork they're not actually developing
0: the audit You turn in the numbers and they look at them. And remember that just in in speaking to, like we just mentioned Enron very briefly, Jed, that like you would imagine that if you are telling this story and you say, hey, look, it's a listed company. Right. Was it surprising to you to learn how, in fact, these companies became listed in the United States?
2: Honestly, when I began this, I didn't really understand the concept that, dozens or hundreds eventually of Chinese companies could be listed on U.S. exchanges. And, and so it was really eye-opening um, to see the mechanics of that, which are quite complicated. Um, it was also interesting to to see how the we're really living in a 21st century economy where capital can flow across borders instantly. Uh, but what I found in making the film is that the regulatory framework and the rules of the game of capitalism that are supposed to keep it fair and transparent are kind of stuck in the 20th century. And to me, that's a sort of big takeaway from this uh, this whole story. It's less about the specifics of what happened in this set of frauds and problematic companies and more about what kind of system do we want to have. If we want to have uh, a global market, which I think is probably good and probably inevitable, we should really think about policing it in a way so that it uh, Where we can be reasonably sure that what we're looking at is w- what it claims to be,
0: and the interesting thing, Dan, is that when we look at how those companies were able to kind of use their own sidestep regulators in general, was the the premise was let's find some shell company in yeah. the U.S. This company had already been a public company, right. But it really didn't have any assets anymore, and right. let's do. Did they do a reverse merger? Is that how they did it? In
1: many cases, some of them were IPOs. Uh, but in many cases, it's a much. It costs a lot less to reverse merge into a company. And and in in all fairness, Berkshire Hathaway is a reverse merger. I mean, so it can go fine. Uh, but in, in these cases, you spend anywhere from a hundred to three hundred thousand dollars on a what they would call a clean shell, which means it has no litigation attached to that old former company, and you reverse merge your company into it, and you don't have as many of the audit hurdles uh, or regulatory hurdles that you would have in an IPO.
0: And as a result, when you are looking, when you, as as an investment advisor or or a chief investment officer of a hedge fund or a private equity firm, you're looking at it, you say, here's the filings, here's the numbers. You don't know whether or not these are complete baloney or not. Right. I I mean, because they've been filed. You, I presume, started from the premise, like, these are the numbers.
1: Well, I start from the premise that the, you take these numbers at face value, uh, especially when they're when they're not guidance or outlook. These are these are actual empirical numbers of what they say they did in the past, and and you work backwards into if they're lying, there are repercussions. Uh, people from Enron and WorldCom, Tyco, they went to jail. That doesn't happen so much anymore, but that's a whole another segment. Uh, and and then you you find out that it's not illegal in China. To steal from an American citizen?
0: No, I think that's a point of pride.
1: I could point to a case where Ming Zhao from Putacole stole $450 million from US investors. Uh, we exposed that. And a year later, he was appointed to provincial Congress. Oh, my God. So you're not elected to Congress there, right? You're appointed. So they'll, they'll literally pin a medal on you for stealing a half a billion dollars for U.S. investors.
0: So let's go back. You go 2009. You make 200. So you didn't go out of business in 2008, so that was good. Yeah. 2009, you make 229%. And mm. then what, what's the next part of this? I mean, you've, you're yeah. killing it.
1: Well, there were critics like uh, Carson Block from Muddy Waters and Alfred Little uh, who's John Carnes, uh, that were saying a lot of companies that we had invested in and maybe we had gotten out of these companies cause they hit a price target, not because we thought they were fraudulent, but because we bought it at nine and sold at 28 or whatever it was, they were saying they were frauds and, and my partner Maj and I got together and we said, look, we were either good at what we do or we were lucky and we need to figure that out or we're going to be out of business. So we hired our own China team to prove the short sellers wrong, and we gave them 30 companies to go look at. And they came back, and they said the short sellers are wrong. They're understating the problem.
0: Oh, my God. That's, I love the part in the movie where there's a guy who goes up and sort of knocks on the door of the Chinese company and says, hey, I want to give everyone free tea. <laughs> <laughs> that be so nice. Can I yeah. just bring you some free tea? And you guys had thought, how many employees did they say they had at that point? Uh, they said they had,
1: you know, say maybe hundreds, five, yeah, Oh, yeah. Well, look, they had one truck driver with, with yeah. the, and
0: 40 people, I believe he said yeah, well, we have 40 it people was here. Something
1: in a- like 10x uh, of, of what it was. And there are all kinds of stories that we have that we have to go through. The T salesman was a good idea at getting an employee count uh, and and the bravery of some of these China investigators. I mean, they're they're risking jail time they've been beaten up they've been run off the road they've been pistol-whipped things Mm. of this nature so
0: you come to find out that these Chinese companies some of which had done IPOs in the US some of which had done reverse mergers and are now listed on US exchanges that they're basically fraudulent endeavors that they're they're kind of saying hey uh, you know it's as if it's like the the Jill Trading Co from China from Shanghai is setting up and I do a reverse merger and I I Then what, how do I get people to invest in this fraudulent, because there's a part of this that's like, you got to have a pimp. So Mm. who's the pimp in the story?
1: Well, number one, the pimp finds the product. So a Chinese chicken farmer doesn't wake up one day and understand how to defraud the U.S. capital markets. Good point. So people from the United States go there to any kind of B-level operator and say, what could you do with 50 million Mm. dollars and this B level operator will say well my business would be this big and imagine my I'm holding my hands way out and the pimp as you call them says to them look all you have to do is tell everybody your company's already that big we'll give you the money and then you can build it out nobody's gonna get hurt and by the way if you get caught you did nothing illegal in China so you can't be prosecuted
0: and if you get caught in the U.S., then what happens? In other words, if you lie to the mm-hmm. SEC, mm-hmm. what happens? If you're a Chinese person? Uh,
1: nothing. nothing. I mean, I mean they, they, they have no don't have the ability to enforce
2: yeah. subpoenas. That if you come here, um,
1: they can. No, they'll put you on a plane and send you home. Now, here, you go straight to jail. Do not pass go, and you've got to post bail or something of that sort, but no. And the ironic thing is when we catch U.S. people stealing from... China investors like the EB5 program which is a pathway to citizenship for Chinese they've caught you know half a billion dollars worth of theft of Chinese citizens our government has done the right thing and taken that money back and made the Chinese citizens whole hmm. which i take exception with i i think we should put that money in escrow and say to the government of China here's what we've taken back from our criminals and we'll make your citizens whole You do the same.
0: They get the companies, they list, they get them out to public. And then uh, it's sort of like it's a little bit like a a boiler room almost that like they've got to set up a shop where they can now distribute these ideas and get people to invest in them. So what is the distribution mechanism for these Chinese companies that are pretending to already have the $50 billion? There
1: were there were a, a cadre, a cartel, call it, of deal makers law firms, auditors, and, and really what it became is for the savvy investor, or say somebody who took the short side of the sale, You just you just say, okay, so they have this auditor, now let's look into, which is somebody we know that has bad companies in the past, let's look at the bank they use, okay, that's two strikes, let's look at the law firm they use, okay, that's three strikes, and then you develop a profile based upon that. And, and you pretty much know that when they use three or four of these kinds of firms that there's there's probably some there there and you could spend some money looking into them. This is Better Off with Jill Schlesinger.
0: We'll get back to our interview with Dan David and Jed Rothstein of the China Hustle in just a minute. I want to really take a turn here because We're talking about how individuals make investments in these highly speculative types of companies that were based in China. That is something that I don't recommend. You know, the CFP in me watched that movie and felt a little anxiety and saying, why are people doing this? It just doesn't have to be that hard. That's why I'm so pleased that Betterment is the sponsor of this podcast And Betterment believes in a much more traditional way of thinking about investments, not trying to hit it out of the park and find the best company in China, but to create a plan to stick to that plan and to pursue your retirement and investment goals based on who you are, not based on what you hope could happen to some company across the world. Based on the information that you tell Betterment, they'll make tailored recommendations on decisions like how much to invest, how much risk to take on in your portfolio, and the type of investment account you should have. For more information, visit betterment.com/betteroff. Betterment: Rethink what your money can do. And now back to our interview with Dan David and Jed Rothstein of The China Hustle so you start from the long side in 2009 yeah. you make a bunch of money you yeah. hire these you, people say oh my god Dan! you know these guys are investing and you go hire these guys you find out that in fact it is fraudulent and mm-hmm. and then you start beginning the process of saying let's now bet against them no what happens then
1: I said well we don't want to be short sellers that's that's not our outlook we're value investors let's not try and learn a new game Let's go to the investment banks, let's go to the SEC, let's go to the exchanges, let's tell them what we found, and let's see if, if maybe they could hire us or somebody like us to do proper diligence so that American investors won't be ripped off. And, and we can just buy good Chinese companies, because we still wanted to do that. Uh, and we were just, you know, soundly pushed aside, threatened to be sued, and sued, uh by almost any of these entities uh,
0: w- w- when we're speaking to the exchanges i mean it's like who, who the hell are you uh also it, you are do, were you treated like oh you're not some big white shoe wall street dude you're a guy from pennsylvania doing we we're what? bullied
1: yeah, yeah we we're bullied and and we didn't take too well to that mm. so we published our first two short reports without taking a position interesting we said we said look we'll spend fifty thousand dollars buying grave plots in China, proving that this company didn't own the cemetery they said they owned. Uh, and then there was a pharmaceutical company as well. And we said, well, we won't take a short position, and the investor community will buy our research. They'll love us. Uh, so we put that report out, and the investor community said, you're short sellers. We don't care if you say you took a position or you didn't. If you're if you're a critic, you're a short seller.
0: Okay. Can I just stop for a second? Jed. Yes. Yes. Who devised the storytelling of how to present what short selling is in the movie? I did. It is brilliant thank and I you. want you to I want that clip and I want it to go viral. It is the best yeah. explanation ever of short selling well, that I've ever you. seen. I've been doing this for 30 something years.
2: It's brilliant. It's hard to wrap your head around, isn't it? Short I mean it took me a while to really myself understand the mechanism, the key mechanism of the borrow Borrowing something and then selling it right away, and I think that that's that's not a natural um, Transaction so it really took me a while to understand it and to be able to explain it in a simple enough way
0: And so right in the middle of the movie there's this great animation Which is the best ex- explanation ever of short selling which should be its own animation and you should basically license it to every investment firm which I'll tell had- the animator Amazing. Really great. And I think that the the concept of betting against Uh is always this – it's a strange feeling because you Uh hear from the investment community, oh, those guys, they're the bad guys, the short sellers. So you also have Jim Chaness in the the movie who's a legendary short seller. And I I thought he also did a good explanation of like, look, this is part of the market. You want both sides represented, right?
2: Right. You know, one of our screenings uh, early on, somebody – in the audience stood up and said how oh, you shouldn't have short sellers there they shouldn't be allowed in the markets they just want to bring things down and my thinking was well if you have a market you have to have the ability to suggest that stocks should go up and also that they should go down um that's not to say that every Every short position is justified. Of course, they're not always. But and I they think, don't always
0: work out. Yeah. And there's a huge risk in Oftentimes, being a short seller, yeah. right? I mean, so that's the other oh, part it's of It's a
1: huge risk to short a fraud. Of course. When you're short, you're only going to make money if the market agrees with your thesis at the same time you do. If they agree a year later, you could be out of business. And that happens all the time. They're like, oh, what that guy said last year, it turned out he was right. He's broke right? because he had to hold on to that short. Well, it went up you know, 10x, but that's what ends up happening. And when you're shorting a fraud, everybody says, well, this company is a complete fraud. You're going to take them to zero. It's easy. A fraud can say anything. So when you come out against them and the next day they put out a press release, A, calling you a financial terrorist and B, saying, by the way, we just signed an agreement with Nestle. You're... They know they're caught anyway, so
0: they're just pumping their stock at the end. Oh God! Okay, so you write the research report. You figure you're going to be this great resource to the community. Right. You're going to be like the Sandy Bernstein's of the of right. of the short China world. Yeah, you're going to do all this stuff. What happened?
1: Well, we just said from then on. Said, look, we're we're, we're just we're just going to embrace it, and we're going to short. And uh, one of our first big shorts was um, Subey, uh, which. Claimed to have 500 employees, and they had like 25. And we filmed that. So that's
0: a rounding error. It
1: is, and then Poo a which I explained, Ming Zhao stole the money, and and that went. That was that was a huge shock to the market, uh, and from then on. Like nobody took myself or Ma seriously until we started crashing billion-dollar companies.
0: And and what years were this was And then the SEC wanted to talk to us. Well, so let's <laughs> talk about this. So what, yeah. what years? So so we now know kind of the progression. What years did you start actively shorting and making money? Two thousand and eleven. Just in eleven or 11 12 ish? When did oh they... from eleven on? Eleven on. And I'm, then... I'm
1: almost exclusively short now.
0: Okay, and so what? Why did they want to come talk to you when when you started making money and crashing companies?
1: Well because it turned out that we knew what we were doing. And and, and look, you have to, I, I have to understand that the SEC takes a great amount of calls every day from anywhere from somebody that's intelligent, like, you know, uh, an investor to a crackpot. And they don't know who they're talking to. And then, you know, and, and then when you make a name for yourself, it's still a one-sided conversation. Don't get me wrong. It's not like you go into the SEC and they tell you what they're thinking and you tell them what you're thinking. You tell them what you're thinking, period. And people have often said to me, you know, you meet with the SEC and you give them this time-lapse surveillance and this lock-solid fraud. That must be a great day for them. You've, you've done all their work. So that's a good day for them. A great day for the SEC is when I do all of that, and I've made a mistake too, and they get two cases for one.
0: Right, because while you're here, I might as well look into who you are.
1: Right. And I've never met with them represented by an attorney.
0: Just you alone and your partner?
1: That's right. Wow because and and believe me, my attorney's not too happy about it, but I said, I'm not paying you a thousand dollars an hour to tell the truth. If they have a question, I'm going to answer it. I don't need you there for that. Mm. So if you run your business like you're going to be audited tomorrow or you're going to have to speak to the SEC tomorrow, you know, you, you don't have to rack up all these legal fees. I, I, you know, I spend hundreds of thousands of dollars a year as it is on legal fees fighting you know frivolous lawsuits
0: so right now you're still a short seller and Mm. this has all been going on for all these years what is the 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 part of the story jed that where you kind of explain the fraud the fraud is exposed and then explain to me why you wanted to bring in these sort of individuals who lost their shirt betting on it because it like because he's two big institutional guys you wouldn't care if like a hedge fund went broke doing it
2: there are two things one the vast majority of the money that was lost was lost in this big skim that all of us probably suffered from but maybe didn't know about if, if you weren't looking very closely. But there were also these individuals like the few a few of them who, who you see in the film, who, for whatever reason, invested a lot of money in particular companies that really collapsed and I thought it was important to show that it you know it affects not only everyone in this big skim but also individuals. Who believe that this was their way to make a little money for their retirement. Um, some people have criticized those individuals and said, "Well, what? You know, that's why would you put all your money in this one company?" And I think that's a valid criticism. I mean, no financial advisor would suggest that that's a good investment strategy. Right. I mean,
0: these may be the same exact people who are like buying gold at night or Bitcoin.
2: I, but I do think I I think that that's a valid criticism, and clearly it they made bad decisions I mean that's demonstrably true yeah but I also think it's important to show that side of the equation not just because it personalizes it but also because the way that our economy is set up now a lot of people don't have adequate retirement plans uh, so they're encouraged we're all encouraged to go out on our own and invest I just have seen a series of commercials that are running which I'm sure you guys have seen that show senior citizens doing jobs that they they're not really physically qualified to do like holding a fire hose <laughs> or being a DJ in a nightclub and the, the commercials are funny and it, the the message of the commercials is if you don't want to be working when you're 85 years old come on and trade some shares and make yourself yeah you know take care of yourself While yes it's true if if people got into trading on their own accounts in one or two companies, it's an, generally an unwise strategy if they don't know what they're doing. And th- you can criticize people for that, but I do think it's it's part of this system that we're all involved in. And my my main takeaway from this again is what kind of society do we want to have? We want to have, or I, you know, I do, and I'm sure you guys do, want to have a capitalist system and a market system, but we want it to be one with some modicum of fairness and transparency. And one where you can believe what you're looking at, more or less. And I think that um, showing the individuals who lost money in this kind of personalizes it and, and also broadens the scope of, of the question that we're looking at.
0: Mm-hmm. Mark, the producer, was very taken by that part. He said the last 15 minutes of the movie where you had those individuals really freaked him out and got him very upset. I was much more excited by the short-selling animation. Let me be that. So I'm all geeky about that. So, Dan, what's the current risk that is now surrounding these Chinese companies that are people are investing in from the U.S.?
1: One trillion dollars.
0: That sounds like a lot. That sounds like another financial crisis.
1: Oh, it's it's. I mean, there's a trillion dollars worth of market cap on our U.S. exchanges, uh, not to mention how many pension funds that are invested in, say, a Morgan Stanley or or something of that ilk that has a Hong Kong, an Asia fund, and, and the Hong Kong market is 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 a very manipulated market. It's not like the China A-share market, which is ridiculous, objectively, but there's a trillion dollar risk and. And systematically, you have to hand it to the Chinese for, for planning. They really do. They put out a five-year plan, but they have a 20-year plan that they don't put out. And, and they're very good about updating it and sticking to it. And, and what, what they saw in 2008 was, wow, thank goodness we weren't so attached to the U.S. market here in 2008. That could have really taken us down with them. And since 2008, they've said, you know what, our term is coming. So they've attached themselves to every market in the world over the last 10 years in a very, very big way. If you go back and just look at the last 10 years, the outflow of China capital buying American companies, buying European companies and investing into other markets will force the
0: rest of the world to pull, out of, pull China out of any bubble. That's amazing because uh, you know, as we speak here today, it's the end of March, and we're talking about um, in the news right now is the Trump administration basically mm-hmm. trying to clamp down on yep. those investments that China is making in the United mm-hmm. States. But the the barn doors are already wide open, right? That's no reason not to try and shut it. No, no, no I understand, but yeah. but in your view, that barn door is wide open.
1: It it's it, it, the yes, I mean the the hose is turned on full blast, and it. It continues. This this should be a bigger IPO year than any other in history.
0: All right, and it's ten years later. And explain what could happen. Give, give me the the doomsday scenario of how we have, uh, you know, financial crisis version two point What happens? Well,
1: I, I mean, China China doesn't just have a bubble. They have bubbles. Uh, they have a real estate bubble. Yeah. Uh, they yeah exactly. They have a debt bubble. Uh, They have, you know, where their debt is concerned, they have credit risks for money lending that is done not through banks. Uh, And it's kind of dark money lending. There are a lot of different kind of bubbles that China could go through, and any one of those could cause them all to pop.
0: And if you have a bubble pop in China previously, years in, I guess, maybe probably 10 years ago, they had a bunch of cash and U.S. bonds on hand. And you felt like, hey, it's... That's the beautiful thing about being a totalitarian-slash-capitalist state, that you can always basically buy your way out of it. What's the position now of China as, you know, when when you look at their stockpile of cash and bonds, what could they do to get out of it? Could they?
1: They would – well, they they own enough foreign assets now that they could lean on Europe, the United States, Australia, uh, other parts of greater Asia to – to really help them get out it would be in everybody's best interest for china not to go through the crisis we had in 2008 where in 2008 you could make the case that our crisis supercharged their economy where china was growing at a exponential rate going into the 2000s they became the safe haven in 2009 And it really supercharged their economy so we won't have that ability where if China's bubble bursts that will you know force everybody to come to the United States people will quickly that may happen in the first month right until it sets in that Wow 30% of this American company is owned by a China firm and and I found that in 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 the politics that I've gotten into um, you know in, in in running for Congress I go to speak to some of these companies, and they're great. Let's come in. We'd like to give you a tour. And a couple of days later, you hear from their PR person. Hey, you're the China guy, right? And I'm like, No, I'm Dan, and you know, I'm, I'm you know running for Congress. I don't know the China guy. Yeah, no, you're the China guy. We're gonna reschedule. So hmm. I look at that company, and I find they had 59
0: subsidiaries in China. Mm. Interesting. So if you are giving macro risk advice right yeah. now in the universe, yeah. give me the three things that might keep you up at night if you weren't a short seller, because obviously if the world falls apart, you're, that you'll make money. But like from a macro view... That's a China, horrible
1: point of view that's also true. <laughs>
0: but I know, I get it. I am the daughter of a short seller, so I'll, uh-huh. I'll come out as that. The truth. So, yes, the truth comes out. Um, so what my question to you is, China is a huge... Freaky scary unknown. Yeah. Give me another
1: well Totalitarian governments uh, that that are, are controlling our media. I mean China and Russia and and other governments Don't allow us to control their media and their internet companies like you can't by law control an internet company in China because that's considered media But they're set up in Silicon Valley right now they're trying to buy our media companies to control our narratives, to make sure that Democrats hate Republicans and Republicans hate Democrats. We focus on hating each other, and we don't really notice that it's outside influences that are keeping us busy with mm. all of this nonsense. Uh, so, you know, my view is this. If we can't buy a company in China, in an industry, you can't buy it here. And the same thing with Russia. And it's really happening in Europe. Europe is, is really tilting far right. The rhetoric is getting out of control. And and we've we've seen this movie before and it doesn't end well. Mm, no. It's a mm, good point.
0: I know, it's so true. So, Jed, when you hear do, do you did this move making this movie completely freak you out? I mean, let me just say that you, you were you've made a movie about Al Qaeda terrorists. Yes. That seems really scary. How does this compare? Well,
2: those Similar. guys were you know, they were scarier um <laughs> in the moment um, certainly being in a room with some of those guys um, but I think that this is a this is systemically scary uh, because of everything that Dan was just talking about uh, I I'm a little more optimistic when I see guys like Kun one of the researchers who, who went to jail whose story is in the film or the fellow who goes by the name of Summer who's a, in a Works in sort of government media in China and came and spoke to us because I think there are a lot of people in China who want to make it a sort of good global citizen and good financial market citizen. And you know, it's a big, big, big country, there's a lot going on, right? Out of a
0: billion people, we got to have a few that are well, let's
2: see
1: see what happens now that President Xi is Emperor Xi,
2: they have forever, yeah. That's a as we as any hopefully anybody in our country would say that, you know, having a a leader for life is is generally a terrible thing. And I'm, I'm not, I don't want to soft pedal the the danger of the problems. But I do think there are a lot of people who want to shed light on things and, and, and make China the best place it can be, because, which is important for us, because at the end of the day, we are becoming more integrated, and we have to. And I don't, I think whether or not we desire it, we're going to all be part of this big global market and this big global village. And we might, I'd rather have it be more open, like America than closed, like these places where there's no free speech. And you know, the president can be on for life. So I'm, I try to look at the the half-full side of it, and see these guys who are who are risking a lot for a better future.
0: Now, I would not have guessed that that would have been your outlook. As uh, I guess that I sort of um, geographically profiled you because before we got on the air, you said you basically you're, you're a Brooklyn hipster and you're an artist, and uh, so I'm I thought you a Brooklynite. That's you, yeah, for sure. That's right, and uh, <laughs> and you know, I am like, not, <laughs> and you are not. But so it's interesting to hear the difference. Uh,
1: well, I, th- I disagree. I mean, I think this is a bigger problem. I really do. I mean, somebody. I mean, hundreds of years old. Uh, the the pen is mightier than the sword. That was true when it was pens and swords. But today, I can tell you that the computer is mightier than the missile, mm. uh, in 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 a very big way. Uh, and it's it's information warfare. It's unconventional information warfare, and it's unconventional financial warfare, by other means. If we think that the hundreds of billions of dollars that have been stolen from American investors went to China and just sat idle in bank accounts, we are sadly mistaken. It came back here through a different investment vehicle to buy our companies and control our jobs. And nobody is really seeing 10 steps ahead at at why things are being done and how they're being done. And it's it's a 20-year plan. And lobbying Congress for three years, we don't even have a 20-minute plan. I mean, it's just dysfunction on an epic level.
0: Okay, by now we have whet your appetite. If you would like to see a trailer of the China Hustle, just go to our show notes. You can go to jillonmoney.com and you'll see it right there. We'll embed it right in the post thanks again to Jed Rothstein and Dan David of this great documentary called the China hustle and thanks to you for listening don't forget every week we've got two shows on Tuesdays we do the better off bonus call of the week and then of course on the Thursday show after the interview if I don't talk too much we have another chance for you to get on the air if you'd like to reach us ask Jill at betteroffpodcast.com is our email address our music is composed by Joel Goodman we're distributed by cadence 13 Mark Talercio is our executive producer, and our sponsor is Betterment. See you next week.